I got a ticking time bomb in my hand. It's not supposed to happen like this, right? Come on, buddy. This is Riley Rex Haig. Check this out. I've only had one other baby cry on me up here, and that was his brother. <laughs> Eggs are like two for two. Check this out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You okay? Yeah, look at that. Jesus, thank you for this little boy. And thank you for Jonathan and Monica because I know they love you and they're going to raise this this young man to know you in a special way. So I pray that as a church we can come alongside of them, comfort them, and to teach Riley about you as well. What a blessing it is to have new life. In the midst of us losing some, even this week, we thank you for uh, this child. Lord, we love you. And I'm going to pass this baby off to their parents. <laughs> In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Life, life and death. It just is all around us. Uh, you know, uh, thank you for bringing him today. Um, everybody's been coming and asking me how my mom is, obviously. I was a little emotional on Mother's Day last week. I get it. Uh, yeah, a little. <laughs> Thanks, Luke. Uh, um, but it just so happened, as you heard, that I got to go home on Monday and hang out with my mom and walk in and just wish her Happy Mother's Day and hang out with her for about 48 hours. She's good. She's got dementia. She's 85 years old. She's having strokes. We have no idea, you know, what's what's going to happen. She could be here Christmas. I don't know. Um, but it was just good to, to hang out with her, and I just appreciate you guys supporting us and praying uh, for her sensitive to what I say because she may be listening so <laughs> uh, so it, it was good it was a good week and obviously Joe and Amy yesterday we had a great day just being able to chill out and relax and, and hang out with friends so uh, it's always good to be here though I look forward to this uh, probably more than anything during the week it's just to come and hang out one to hang out with you but to be able to read the word to you, and have you process it with me. I don't have all the answers. So a lot of times when you ask me questions, I have to go, well, I'll get back with you. And I'm okay with that. I don't have to know all the answers. Uh, someone asked me this week, uh, it, how do you know there's going to be a rapture? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is I can read what's here and I try to piece together what I believe could happen. We, we can sit here and we I'll be honest with you, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. You can. You can take verses out of context and you can use them and you can 
try to control your kids with different verses and try to change people's behaviors and put them underneath the law and do all these things and make it say something that it was not totally meant to be. But I think if you take all 66 books in the Old Testament and New Testament and you read them together and you sew them together and you try to make sense out of it, I believe with the help of the Holy Spirit inside of me and inside of you, we can have a pretty good picture of what's going to happen. And so when I sit here and think about is there going to be a rapture, yes, the scripture leads me to believe that there's going, it never says there's going to be a rapture, never uses the word rapture, but I take you to Luke chapter 21, which is in the middle of where we are, Jesus is still, it's Tuesday still in the daytime, and we are going to finish the afternoon message here uh, with Jesus on Tuesday with his disciples. But in verse 34, he says, be on your guard. Be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from carousing, drunkenness, and worries of life, for that day will come on you unexpectedly, like a trap. For it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth. But be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, there's there's a lot right there in those three verses. And uh, I'll try to answer your questions there. But he says, be on alert. So he says, don't be carousing. Don't be drunk. Because you never know when I'm going to come back. And we've said over the last three weeks, as we've broken down this whole passage of Scripture, that... There's two times that Jesus refers to about coming back. One would be the rapture, where he comes back and I believe he'll take the church out. That you being the church, the believers. That we go, we're with him in heaven. We actually experience a judgment, which is called the judgment seat of Christ. And if you want to, I can sit here and lay out all the verses, but for time's sake right now, I'm not going to do that. But we'll face a judgment seat. The judgment seat will be a a beautiful thing uh, because he's going to take all the things that we've done here on earth, put it through a fire. First Corinthians chapter three, I believe, is that passage. And anything that we've done in our own strength will probably not make it through the fire. It'll probably just burn up. But anything that we've done through the Lord's strength stuff that we're doing like hopefully that's what i'm doing right now is like the lord's doing this not rusty i'm doing something but the lord's hopefully doing it through me that this remains and for that there's reward i'm not doing it for a reward i'm doing it because i'm being obedient because i love him just so happens there's a reward on the other end which ultimately i end up giving back to him we could chase that for a long time all right. So the question the question is, is uh, what if he comes back in the middle of this rapture thing? Oh, yeah, he com- he comes back, takes the church out. But the second part, the second coming is him after the seven years of tribulation. Rapture occurs seven years of tribulation halfway through the tribulation. We talked about the abomination uh, of where the Antichrist would sit on the Temple Mount throne, which we were there just last week. 
we literally saw where the Holy of Holies was at one point. And the Antichrist at three and a half years will sit in that and he'll try to eliminate all Jews from that point because he knows for Christ to, based upon prophecy in the Old Testament, for Christ to come back, he has to be called back by the Jews. The Jews will call him back. And so if he can eliminate all the Jews, then they can't call him back. It's the whole history of the Jewish nation right there is eliminate them so Jesus can't come back. So then Jesus does come back at the end of the seven years. We pretty much know from that point that uh, it's going to be exactly like three and a half years after he sits on the, after the Antichrist sits on the throne. And he will uh, go through the campaign of Armageddon. We stood there looking out over Armageddon. It'll be the Antichrist and all the nations that come together, the Gentile nations that are fighting against Jesus. And guess what? We're coming back with them. We'll see this. uh, Some people call it the battle of Armageddon. Uh, But it'll be Jesus winning this thing. It's not going to maybe a battle that takes place, but Jesus is winning this thing. And we're going to be there to watch this. And it will be incredible. And the Jews will call him in. There will be a remnant of Jews. Some believe it's 144,000 that will be protected in the area of Petra across the Jordan River. I'm going into a lot of explanation that you may just be totally lost here. And it's okay. You really don't have to worry about it. (laughs) Because it's going to happen one way or the other. And it's not like you're going to take a history test on it or future test on what's 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 going to happen just just relax you're going to be good I promise you that judgment seat thing will be awesome you're not going to be judged based upon your sin all the things that you've done all the things that you're currently doing and all the things that you're going to do because why because why you're forgiven you're totally forgiven why are you forgiven because he died on the cross. How many times did he die on the cross? How many times did he die on the cross? One time. One time. A pama hot. Yeah, you got it. He died one time. He died for all sin except for the sin of unbelief. And so therefore, I believe as us as believers that I'm totally forgiven for everything I've already done, everything I'm doing, everything I'm going to do. And there's really no judgment based upon that. I'm forgiven. I am forgiven. And so what happens if the rapture comes, Jesus takes out his church, and I'm in the middle of just this big old sin, somebody asks. Well, I don't even think he's going to slap you on the wrist because he's already dealt with it. And you're sitting there going, well, you're just giving everybody a free card. They can just go out and do what you want to do. Yeah, you... That's pretty much what I'm doing. You can go out and do what you want to do. (laughs) Look, this is the freedom that Jesus gave us. We can do what we want to do. That's the freedom. But here's what I know. Here's what I know is this. Based upon that freedom, there's also this understanding. uh, I I look, it it says... uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. 
This is an awfully confusing verse. It says, everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. Now you're sitting there looking at that verse and you go, what? You're saying that we don't sin? Well, if you look, it's not up there on the screen, but if you actually look in your scripture, there's an asterisk and two asterisks. Here's Watch this. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin. First asterisk. You go down to the bottom and you look at what that asterisk says. And as they've translated it from the Greek, it actually says, or not practice sin. Let me see that again. Everyone who has been born of God does not practice sin. In other words, all you that are believers out here, he's taken out your old heart, which is your sinful nature. It was natural for you to sin when Riley was born. He's born with a sinful nature because he received it from the seed of Adam. All right. And at some point he comes to understand that Jesus is the savior. And when he understands that, he takes his old heart out, puts a new heart in spiritually. And it causes him to behave differently. And this is what this passage in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 is saying. It's like, if you now have the seed of God, the heart of God, then it's not natural for you to practice sin. You're still going to sin. I still sin. I still blow it. I still make bad choices. But it is not my nature to do that. It's totally against my nature to do that. And that's what he's saying. And then it says, his seed remains in him and he is not able to sin. Another asterisk. You look down below and it says, or to keep on sinning. Let me read that again. Because his seed remains in him, he is not able to keep on sinning. It's not my nature. I still do it probably because I have flesh patterns, probably because I'm continually tempted by this power of sin that dwells in my flesh, but my nature is totally changed. Jesus did that for me. And so let me read it to you from the New Living Translation because they've taken those asterisks out and they've made sense of it. It says, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. So when I sit here and say, look, you have the freedom to do whatever you want to do, I absolutely mean it. Because I believe that God's put a new heart in you. And he's going to cause you to want to do something good. It's unnatural for you to keep on sinning. It says that in the scripture. It makes sense to me. You have the freedom to do whatever you want because you are a new creation. Christ in you, you in Christ. How many times are you going to hear that in church? You see, I didn't grow up hearing that. I grew up hearing this is the way you have to live. You have to get up early in the morning because Jesus got up in the morning. You have to pray for 15 minutes. And here's how you pray. You pray acts, you pray adoration first, then you pray confession, then you pray thanksgiving, then you pray supplication. <laughs> kidding me? My father says, hey, I'm with you all day. You can talk to me all day, and you don't have to do the adoration thing. You don't have to do the confession thing. You don't have, you don't have to thank me. Just enjoy me. 
Look, he's given us freedom. And I truly believe that if you get to know the heart of God, you don't have to worry about your sin issues. You, it, it goes away because he takes it away. I believe now some of you are sitting there saying, well, I, I got kids that. I got kids that believed and trusted, but man, there's sin issues or we call that we call that walking in the flesh walking in the flesh they still have a good heart he i i believe if they if they confess that jesus is their savior that he made them a child of god they might not understand their true identity and who they really are it took me a long time to figure that out even I didn't figure that out in college. I didn't figure that out in the seminary. I didn't figure that out while I was a a pastor. It took a friend sitting there telling me over and over and over again, I'm holy, redeemed, righteous child of God. And all of a sudden, the Spirit caused me to see it and to believe it. And now I can't help talking about it. Because it changed my life. It changed Charlie's life. I remember the, the day the switch came on for Charlie. We were sitting in a room up in at the church and all of a sudden he's like uh i go to mass every day i don't have to do that totally different person changed the way he does his career changed his whole family changed everything i believe god does that i believe he does that you're free to do whatever you want to do you're free i bet the lord will tell you what he wants you to do And then uh, I look at Luke 14, too. It says, he said to the one who had invited him, when you give, uh, oh, yeah, uh, you these other questions concerning about the end times, what, do, I need to un, do I need to confess my sins? What about unconfessed sin? You know, that's that whole thing. Uh, what happens if I confess all my sins, I get all my sins listed and everything else, and then, Right before Jesus comes back or right before I die, I just say a dirty word. <laughs> whatever. Whatever you want to whatever sin you want to pick. Uh what happens if I didn't confess that? It's already dealt with. It's already dealt with. One time. One time he dealt with it. And then uh, the other question is, we had the one question about the judgment. What about the judgment? Is there going to be a judgment? Because he, he says, we need to be prepared, be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. I just explained that to you. There's going to be a judgment seat. And I look at Luke 14, verse 12 and 14. It says, he, he also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, but brothers or sisters your relatives, or your rich neighbors because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In other words, he's telling me that when we're resurrected, when we're called up, that there will be a repayment for the things that we have done. Just remember, 
you are free to do what you want to do. But I believe your want is going to line up with the Lord as long as you know who the Lord is. Colossians 1.27 says, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glory of the wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That same glory that was there with Moses, that same glory that led them through the wilderness, that same glory that was there at the birth of Christ, that same glory is in you. I believe you can do whatever you want because I believe the hope of glory is in you. You just got to figure out what the hope of glory is. It says in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. If Christ is your life, yep, you can do whatever you want. When Christ is your life, you are free. Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? I've been reconciled with God. It's a beautiful thing, people, I promise you. And it's freeing. Now, I want to get to uh, Matthew chapter 25 and get us through this afternoon discussion that Jesus is having so that we can move on to the next few things. And to do that, he talks about, uh, he continues his end time discussion. The disciples are all sitting around him. They're just like you. We want to know what the end time is going to look like. Tell us what it looks like. He speaks to them and they're, they really don't have a clue. One, because uh, they don't have all the scriptures right there in front of them. And two, they don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. So these these young disciple boys are looking at Jesus like going, the things that you're saying to us, we really don't have a clue. We don't understand. Some of you are looking at me the same way right now. But the truth is, you have the Holy Spirit now. You can figure this thing out. So he goes into some parables. The first parable is of the ten virgins. It says, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them. But the wise ones took oil in their flask with their lamps. They were prepared. When the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout. Here's the groom, come out to meet him. Like Jesus is coming back for his church, the bride. It says, then all the virgins got up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. The wise ones answered, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. When they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. He replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. He's saying to those, those that were ready, those who were alert, went with him. The rest were left behind. Watch this. He says, Therefore, be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour is he talking about the rapture or is he talking about the second coming after the tribulation 
we know what day he's coming back after the tribulation because it's all pinpointed by prophecy. We don't know what day the rapture is. I believe in that parable of the ten virgins that he's talking about the rapture there. That you need to be prepared because I'm taking the church out of here. And then he goes to the next parable. I believe these next parables that he's talking about all have to deal with the second coming after the tribulation. It's the parable of the talents in verse 14. It says, for it is just like the man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. You know he told this story before. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, give me five talents. See, I've earned, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. Look what I did. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. (laughs) Let me stop right there. If this is a parable about the end times. If this is a parable about the end times, Jesus, this is all in context of what he's been talking about. We've been talking about for the last month here. But in this conversation with his disciples, he's talking about the end times. This parable relates to the end times. I believe, based upon what I'm reading right here, that this is talking about him after the tribulation. And what happens is during this tribulation, the church is gone and people come to understand who Jesus is. Definitely the Jews. You'll see in here in a minute, by the time the tribulation is over, Every Jew that is alive believes that Jesus is the Savior and the Messiah. That's prophecy. But as for the Gentiles, that would be not you in this room because you're believers. But those during the tribulation, non-Jews, some will come to know Jesus and others won't. Others will be against him. Others will be followers of the Antichrist. But during that time, during that time, those that believe in Jesus, the Gentiles they will help the Jews survive and come to know Jesus. And so when I'm sitting here reading this parable, I'm looking at this right here, and he says, Welcome, good and faithful servant. That is referring to those who have survived the tribulation. We use that all the time that when we die, we're going to get to heaven and he's going to say, Welcome, my good and faithful servant. That reference is in, is in connection with the end times and those that survived the tribulation. He may say that when I get up there. I don't know. I don't know what he's going to say to me. But we use that reference all the time that he's going to say that to us. He says, <clears throat> he says, uh, You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. 
The man with two talents also approached, and he said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. This man was scared because he believed that his heavenly father was harsh. He says, so I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Here's your one talent back. He was afraid. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. You know, this is the same parable that he told to the Pharisees. If you know that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. It may not have been much interest, but at least it would have been something in addition to. You could have at least done that. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given and who will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, all of a sudden, that parable makes sense to me in light of that last line he's going to be cast into outer darkness during the tribulation all the nations that don't believe that jesus and the messiah that's what revelation says they will be cast into outer darkness so now he's talking this parable is about the second coming when he returns after the tribulation and he's talking there specifically that one person that had one talent and didn't do anything with it he's like you'll be cast into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It makes sense to me. And then we get to this last parable. This is the big one because this is the one where you've you've probably grown up in church hearing whether you're a sheep or a goat. (laughs) Right? The sheep or a goat. This is all... This is still in relation to the end times. This isn't about you, the church. Hello? Oh, my goodness. All your life you thought this was about you. This isn't about you. This is about those that survived the tribulation. Watch this. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, this would be the second coming after the rapture. Church has already been raptured. You're gone. And all the angels with him, that will be us too. We're becoming, we're not an angel. When you die, you don't become an angel. Let's get that straight. There's already angels, but the angels and us, we will return. Then we will sit on, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Oh my goodness. We talked about this three weeks ago. We thought, we talked about the different covenants and we said there was this Davidic covenant that he promised David that the Messiah would come through his lineage. And so now we know that Jesus is of David. We can read the genealogy there in the Gospels. And and Jesus is literally going to sit on the throne 
of the Temple Mount. The same place the Antichrist sat three and a half years ago and desecrated it. Jesus is going to come back there and sit there. It says that right there. And so he's going to fulfill the Davidic covenant at this point. It says he will sit on his glorious throne. Verse 32, all the nations, and typically when it says all the nations, it's referring to all those outside of Israel. So those would be Gentile nations. All the Gentiles will be gathered before him. All the Gentiles that survived the tribulation. I've already said all the Jews will be saved because that's what it says in Scripture. In Romans 11, chapter, or chapter 11, verse 25, it says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. And in other words, I want you to understand what's going to happen here. He says, a partial hardening has come upon Israel, which is right now that hardening is on them, and that was by their choice, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. It says it right there. All Israel, all the Jews will come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Halfway through the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to try to eliminate those Jews. But those Gentiles that believe that Jesus is the Messiah, they will come to the rescue of the Jews and they will save them. They will protect them. They will provide for we saw it during the Holocaust, right? We saw it during the Holocaust. There were believers that came and helped some of the Jews survive. Now watch this. He says, all the nations will be gathered before him. He's going to bring all the Gentiles together. And he will separate them one from another. Just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. We were literally in the wilderness this last week and we saw shepherds crossing the, their goats and their sheep across the highways. Still going on. It says, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. You thought that you were going to be a sheep and you are going to be on the right. It just, this isn't about you. It says, then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous, those Gentiles that believe that Jesus was the Messiah, are going to answer him, Lord, uh, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you? I don't remember feeding you, Lord. Or thirsty and gave you something. We don't get this. When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, what, what is Jesus? He's a Jew. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers, my Jewish brothers, my Jewish sisters, you did it for me. You Gentiles that believed I was the Messiah and you protected my brothers and sisters, this is who I'm talking about. 
Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me. You are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Those who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, I, I didn't see you. When were you hungry? When were you thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. You didn't take care of my Jewish brothers and sisters. You didn't do it for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. He's going to take the goats and say, depart from me. He's going to take the sheep. And this is not you. (laughs) It's not you. It's those during the tribulation. This is good news, people. You're good. All that stuff that you've grown up hearing about whether you, you need to like work hard to be a sheep. You need to take care of people. You need to feed. You need to clothe them. That doesn't pertain to you. That doesn't pertain to you. And then I close with this. Mark 13, verse 24. It says, but in those days, after that tribulation... The sun will be darkened and the moon will shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the man coming in the clouds in great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. When Jesus comes back after the tribulation, it's going to be unexplainable, unimaginable. It's not even worth trying to describe here. And it's all fulfillment of prophecy that was spoken thousands of years ago. He's fulfilling prophecy in Joel chapter 3 verse 1. It says, yes, in those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and take them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. At the temple mount, If you look directly to the east, the eastern gate, which Jesus is going to come in right now, it is blocked off. It is sealed. We were there last week. It is completely sealed up. The Muslims have sealed it up and said, Jesus is not coming back through this gate. Guarantee he's coming back through that gate. Somehow, some way, Jesus is coming back through that gate. And at the bottom of that gate, there's this valley. It's called the Kidron Valley. But here it's described as Jehoshaphat's Valley. Then you go up from the valley, it's the Mount of Olives where he's sitting here having this discussion with the disciples saying this is what's going to happen. He says, he says, I will gather all the nations and take them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I will enter into judgment with them there because of my people, my inheritance, Israel. The nations have scattered the Israelites in foreign countries and divided up my land. It has happened and it is still happening today. That prophecy that we just read right there in Joel says, look, it's been happening for since Abraham. That long ago, still going on today in 2018. They will come back eventually. They will call Jesus the Messiah. And it will be a glorious event. Now, we finished that. We finished Matthew 24, 25. It's Tuesday afternoon. 
and they're getting ready to go into the evening. What happens on a Jewish day is this. The Jewish day ends at sunrise. So now we're getting ready to go into Tuesday night. Tuesday night, there's still still some discussion, but now we're actually entering into Passover. So uh, next week when you come, we're moving on to a further discussion. Still be on Tuesday, but now it's it's actually Jewish Wednesday, and we're moving into Passover. I'm sure I probably confused you this morning. I'm sure there's a million questions out there. I'll be happy to have discussions with you, talk. And here's the, here's the beauty of it. You can, you can talk with other people in here. You talk to Matt, loves to talk stuff like this. He, he, and he doesn't necessarily see it the same way I do, and we're okay with that. We, we've already said this doesn't matter. It does not matter what he believes, what I believe. What the, the only thing that matters is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, and the Lord of our lives. That's it. Relax, breathe. You've been made a new creation. Do whatever you want. I believe that you'll follow your heart. And that's my prayer. Father, I pray that uh, we come to know you more and more. We know that you love us, that you care for us. And because we understand that and we know that you're a loving God, that we have a desire to follow you and to pursue the heart that you've placed in us, that heart of flesh. pray that for for riley even this morning that he comes to know you as a savior and when you become our savior that you would become the lord of our life that you would literally be the boss of our life that we know you so well that we want to be obedient and love you and pursue you Thanks for allowing us to be free, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.